Okay, we are back. Welcome everyone and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the 615 Collector. Today is, what is today? Wednesday, July 12th. We're going to drop this. It's Wednesday when we're recording, Wednesday night, but we're going to drop this Saturday morning. So my name is Doug. My partner here is Brandon. We're back from, what, a little over a month hiatus probably? Maybe, like give that. or take. Yeah, a month long hiatus. Good to be back. Hope everyone had a good 4th of July. Is having a good summer. We appreciate you spending some of your day with us. So I figured we probably should start just with a quick update regarding the frequency of our show because we did take a fair amount of time off and we kind of decided we're not going to be as, as regular in the frequency going forward. Not going to be necessarily a weekly show. We never intended to do this forever, but uh, did want to do it for as long as we're having fun and enjoying it. And when we first set out, we just kind of wanted to have fun, talk about collecting, talk about sports and spend some time with each other, but uh, don't want it to feel forced or like it's for the sole purpose of sticking to a weekly schedule. So as a result, going forward, probably going to be a little bit more intermittent and maybe weekly sometimes, and maybe other times there'll be a couple of weeks or a month or more between shows. Who knows? We'll just play it by ear, see what we want to do. Depends on what our schedule is. We've got a lot going on outside of this as well, so that'll factor into it. But you can follow us on social media. And we'll keep everyone posted there about when shows will drop. Okay, lots happened since our last show. We're not going to cover everything. No. We don't want this to be a two or three hour show. Plus, a lot of it's already been covered enough yeah, by other silly. yeah, by other outlets in the hobby. But we're going to touch on a few things. Since our last show, we've had a lot. We had the NBA Finals. We had the NBA Draft. We're not going to go over... A lot of this stuff per se we'll maybe touch on a couple things but free agency in the nba the stanley cup final in hockey the nhl draft the french open wimbledon's now underway there's a lot going on in major league baseball we're in the dog days of summer it's all-star break right now uh wnba all-star weekends coming up this weekend as well it's been some hobby news bunch of stuff so let's jump in all right you want to do some mail days yeah. Talk a little bit about buying and selling because we haven't really been talking much about this and we have we slowed down a little bit but we have been picking some things up. We are going to be selling some things though. Going to go through the collection. I'm going through it now actually trying to identify what I want to sell. Got some raw cards, some graded cards, some wax that I'm likely going to part with. Going to thin the herd so to speak. Raise some funds to uh, finish out maybe some of the other PC stuff that I'm working on. I did pick up some Caitlin Clark stuff. I'm a big believer that she's a game changer. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I just, I, I like watching her play. It's, she's fun to watch. And so picked up some of her stuff, a couple of serial numbered parallels in the Bowman U basketball. Also got an auto, autograph card of hers. So that was I was a nice addition to the PC. Been my buying has been a little more focused outside of that on the aesthetics of cards, regardless of kind of the value. And I'll post a few things on social media to show what I'm talking about. But there are some nice cards out there that don't break the bank. Picked up a couple of Kobe Bryant cards that I thought are pretty cool looking cards that were less than fifty bucks. So that was nice. Also been focusing on completing some other things, some sets and rookie cards of different players and stuff like that. I will say as far as where I like to put money from an investment perspective, because I know we have some people listening and in the hobby that look at it from that perspective. And look, this isn't recommendations. We don't make any sort of investment recommendations or anything like that. Everyone needs to 
do what you want to do and do your own diligence and don't take advice from other people, especially not us. <laughs> but I'll say just in terms of what we're doing. So I like WNBA. I think there's long-term opportunity in WNBA cards. Um, I like Star Wars stuff, the vintage stuff, and, and some of the new stuff like uh, Chrome Sapphire and some of that stuff. But um, Otani, I've liked Otani for a long time now. And maybe not now, though. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the show, but because Otani stuff is really starting to heat up. So I mean, this may not be the, the time for that, but I've liked Otani for a long time. Some of the off-the-beaten-path stuff I like, like Topps has some 206 cards they've been releasing over the last few years. Stuff like that that has, it's got published print runs. Those print runs aren't excessive, like a lot of the more ultra-modern stuff that's coming out is. And it's stuff that I like to follow and, and collect. And um, I also like what Topps and Fanatics is doing with the collegiate stuff. We've talked about that, like with Caitlin Clark and Wemmanyana and the first Bowman in football and basketball, similar to what they're doing in, in baseball. And I do think there's long-term opportunity there. I know that uh, a lot of people are kind of scoff at that today, but you know what? What's popular 20 years from now will, will not necessarily be what's popular today. And people that are scoffing at a lot of this collegiate stuff, I don't know. Some of them probably scoffed at the first Bowman baseball stuff too, you know, but um, look how that's turned out. I don't understand that. How, how is it any different than like a rookie card? Well, because they want to like, yeah, because they want them in pro uniform. But if you think about it, think about all the college fans are out there. That yeah, are but there. like isn't half the point of getting a rookie card early to bet on a player? Yeah. So but, how you can't, you can't get any earlier than when they're playing in college. But a lot of people, yeah, that's true. But a lot of people don't consider their rookie card until it's their, in their pro uniform. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I mean, look, but but I look, I mean, there's a lot of college fans out there. There's a lot of people that want to collect their favorite players in their in their at their favorite colleges and in their collegiate uniforms. A lot of them don't care about the pro team they go to. I mean, I think about like we've got a nephew that's a huge Oregon Duck fan, Justin Herbert and all those guys. He, he would rather probably have a card of Herbert in his Oregon Duck uniform than he would in his Charger uniform because he doesn't yeah. necessarily care about the Chargers. No offense to the Chargers fans out there, but he just, you know. I mean, he's an Oregon Duck fan. So, and there's a lot of people out there like that, I think. So I definitely think there could be some opportunity there. With all this stuff, though, when I say opportunity, I'm literally talking long-term plays, like 10, 20 years down the road. Uh, a lot of this stuff is probably going to take some time to develop. Uh, the market's going to need to grow. You know, uh, trends and tastes change a little bit. We need to get past some of the recency bias of what's been happening over the last few years. But those are some of the areas that I like. Again, not making any recommendations to anybody. Everyone needs to do what you want, just sharing our thoughts and some of the things that we're focused on and where we're spending some of our resources. All right, let's talk some tennis because there's been a lot going on in tennis. We had the French Open. Wimbledon's now underway. And Djokovic won his 23rd Grand Slam title with his victory over Casper Rudd in the French Open, passing Nadal, who's got 22, and now holds the record for the most Grand Slam titles on the men's side. Federer has 20. And remember, Djokovic has cards in the 06, 07, 08, Ace Authentic sets. He also has a 2010 SI for Kids card. And you've seen the values of some of his cards increasing somewhat. Like his 07 Ace Authentic in a PSA 10 has moved from around $300, give or take, to the four dollars to $500 range lately. He won Wimbledon last year. He's actually won four of the last, no, four straight and six of the last eight he, of Wimbledon's he's won. Also won the Australian Open this year. So he's going for what's referred to as the calendar slam if he can win Wimbledon and then the U.S. Open later this year. That's a feat that 
has only been accomplished six times by five different players, both men and women. So that'd be pretty impressive. Long way to go to do it, but that'd be impressive. Not actually that much longer now. Yeah. It's only like, what, two rounds left? Well, he's in the semis. Yep. Yeah, so yep. he only has Djokovic is in the times. semis, so he's got two more matches. and uh, But they're going to be tough matches. He's got, um, who's he got? I think he's got Sinner. And then he'll have the winner of Alcaraz or Medvedev. Um, so that's the that'll be an interesting because Alcaraz and Djokovic, if they win out, they're going to meet in the final at Wimbledon. That would be an interesting match. Medvedev, man, you know, Eubanks. It looked like Eubanks was going to take him, was going to win, and then out of nowhere, Medvedev turned it around. He was getting pretty frustrated in that match against Eubanks. Eubanks was playing really well, but ended up winning. Alcaraz had I thought what turned out to be a fairly I don't want to say easy because it was seven six six four six four. It's not like he you know, bageled him or anything, but he had a he had a fairly easy match against Rune, and so now he'll be up against Medvedev. And then remember, Djokovic and 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 Alcaraz met in the French Open, but Alcaraz cramped up. Yeah, and so Djokovic took it pretty easily from there. But so that's going to be you know what's interesting. We were talking about that. Here's one thing, and I don't. We were saying I, like you know I know you're saying you don't understand the rankings in tennis, and nor do I. It, it's curious to me that Alcaraz is the number one ranking. And and Djokovic is number two in Wimbledon. Like, how can you how can you be the all time men's Grand Slam leader? Have won Wimbledon four straight years. You just won the Australian Open, and you're coming into and and the uh, French Open, and you're coming into Wimbledon, and you're two to Alcaraz. I mean, I get Alcaraz is the up and coming player, but well, you know. I don't understand how it works. But I mean, it's what have you done for me recently? And it's but recently he won the last two Grand Slams. But you Actually, also have to look at. I mean. It's like, it's not based on, I mean, I would have to imagine it's not entirely based on yeah, wins. right. I know. I mean, they can look I, at I that and say that rankings, Alcaraz yeah. maybe was a better player at that point had right. he not cramped up. Whether or yeah. not that's true or not, whatever. But maybe that's how they're looking at it. I don't know. I don't know either. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, and look, I mean, Alcaraz is a awesome player. He's young. It's This is going to be, you know potentially a passing of the torch here but uh the women's side Schwiatek wins her third French Open title it was the third in the past four years uh as she got past Carolina I think it's Mokova is how you pronounce her last name in the women's final um she did get upset though in the quarterfinals at Wimbledon that was a little surprising um she does have a card out there it's a 2022 Sports Illustrated for Kids card there may be some others but that's one of the ones I came across one of the big matchups in Wimbledon in the quarterfinals was on Jabor against Elena Rybakina was Rybakina the winner last year I think she was the um defending champion I think so but Ange Jabor got past her and uh so now that creates an interesting matchup on the women's side in the semifinals because now Ange Jabor is going to be going up against Sabalenka. Sabalenka won pretty easily today against Keys, and uh, Sabalenka is looking pretty tough. But so is Ange Dubor. You almost feel like that should be the final, but it's the semifinal. So uh, we'll see what happens there. And I don't know if either one of them. I know Ange Dubor. I think there's some cards out there, both of them. Um, maybe a Sports Illustrated for Kids card. I don't know. And then there's some other. What I would say unlicensed cards and i've seen some custom cards and things like that i probably stay away from those but anyway so lots going on in tennis and then hey we can't last year we talked about this over fourth of july we cannot we cannot not talk about it is that the what the right sure that's not the right english but joey chestnut yep did it again 
He's the GOAT. I don't know how you even get into this, man. <laughs> His 16th straight Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest on the 4th of July. Was it actually on the 4th, or do they record it and replay? I don't know. I think it actually is on the 4th. it's on the 4th. It? Yeah. There was a two-hour weather delay, too. So even in, even in the hot dog eating contest, you can have weather delays. And like I said, we talked about it last year. He's got cards. His quote-unquote rookie card, I guess, if you consider that to be a rookie card, is in the 2008 Topps Allen and Ginter set. And I saw that one in a CSG that sold for about 50 bucks. In a CSG 10, I should say, sold for about 50 bucks. He's also in the 2012 Goodwin Champions set. That's the set, the product that has a lot of sort of pop culture cards along with athletes' cards. And I saw that card raw and autographed recently sold for 190 bucks and an SGC 10 autograph card of that one sold for 315 bucks recently. So, hey, Joey Chestnut's cards are, are are hot, they're doing well. He also has a card in the 2015 Leaf Pop Century set, which is another set that does a lot of pop culture stuff. And I saw that one recently sell for over 100 bucks. So, there you go, Joey yes. Chestnut's, you know, the goat. <laughs> Everyone's got cards now, it seems like. Um, we'll talk about some card shows going on. The National, not the National, but the Nash, N-A-S-H for Nashville, Anul, was this past weekend here in Nashville. It's a big show. I did hear a lot of good reports coming out of that show. One into a ten, but unfortunately wasn't able to get there this past weekend. So that stung because I really did want to go to that one, but... Wasn't able to make it, but did hear a lot of good things. Thought it was, I guess it was a good show. It was packed. And then, of course, we have the National, the real National, coming up in Chicago at the end of July. There's been a lot of talk on this. If you can make it, I'd say it's definitely worth going. It's a lot of fun. It's an opportunity to see and pick up cards you may not get otherwise. It's also an opportunity to interact with a lot of other collectors. And here's the other thing. You can get cards graded there. I would recommend only doing it for high-end stuff, given the cost of it. And we'll get into that when we talk in our um, halftime report talk some hobby news because uh, grading companies have announced some of their pricing for grading at the national and um, there's going to be a lot of giveaways and other things happening it's a fun event and so i definitely recommend going for anyone that hasn't been to it before there's been some talk in the hobby about you know hey is it worth going to national yes it's worth going it is it is a lot of fun if you haven't been to one definitely worth going to one and i think chicago is a good place for it they had it there a couple years ago and it's a it's a good good venue and a fun fun event fun atmosphere definitely worth it if you can make it mm-hmm. all, right. all right before we get into what else we got we're going to do jersey numbers trends we got hobby news let's get into some trends though i did want to touch on one thing because there's just been so much talk about what's going on in the hobby and prices and all this stuff and i feel like there's a lot of doom and gloom out there right now and look what the time to be you know i know we were a year ago or more than a year ago probably talking about how the hobby, it was getting a little excessive and needed to cool down a little bit. Now's not the time to get negative. It's it it's come down, so now's not the time for that. It, and I guess it's one of those where, you know, be negative when everyone else is positive and positive when everyone else is negative. That's from an investment kind of you know philosophy. But look, I, we've documented the issues with looking at the card ladder indexes. It's not an indictment on card ladder because we like card ladder. We use that solution all the time. We'd recommend others use it as well. But you have to know what you're looking at when you're looking at their indexes because if you don't, it can lead you to some wrong conclusions. And 
If you look under the hood right now, as an example, things may not be as bad as the indexes suggest. A quick example, if you look at the card ladder 50 index, it's down about 7% over the last six months, but most of that's in the high-end cards. If you look at some of the individual cards in the index, the lower value cards, like for example, Ken Griffey Jr.'s 89 upper deck rookie in a PSA 10, up 24% in the last six months. The 92 upper deck Shaq rookie in a PSA 10, up over 14% in the last six months. Peyton Manning's 98 tops Chrome rookie card in a PSA 10 is up nearly 30% in the last six months. So yes, a lot of stuff is down, but there's a fair amount that's up as well. And so anyway, so I would just you know keep that in mind as you're listening to people talk about what's happening in the market and seeing pricing and some of these card ladder indexes. Because remember, they're price weighted, so they're going to be really impacted on a more so by the higher the higher price stuff so if the higher price stuff comes down that's going to be reflected more in the indexes than anything that the lower price stuff does and now one other thing i want to address is this concept of the pareto principle have you heard about this yeah yeah so this has been making the rounds um there's an interview it's a podcast by jeremy lee sports card live we like that recommend all of our listeners check that out if you haven't already he does a lot of good interviews of people in the industry but he had uh, someone by the name of Brent Wire, and I don't know how Brent. I'm not sure what Brent's background is. I don't know, you know, that what makes if he's particularly a hobby expert or not. I mean, I know they talked about his background on the podcast a little bit, but anyway, I'm not sure. I guess he's just a collector, and so Jeremy Lee wanted to have him on. But Brent, any Brent, apparently from Oregon, by the way, too. So we have that connection with him. That's cool. But Brent subscribes to this principle, the Pareto principle, and he's and. And it seems to have taken hold a little bit in the hobby, because I hear about it now all over the place. And I just, but I just, I want to address it real quick because I think the application of this principle has gone beyond maybe what the original premise of it was. It's not law; it doesn't apply to every scenario. But for those that don't know, the Pareto principle basically states that generally 80% of the consequences come from 20% of the causes. It's kind of like the 80/20 rule, right? It was originally linked to wealth and population, and so the idea was that. 80% of the wealth resides with 20% of the population, kind of an economic principle. And I think one of the things that stirred the pot in the interview that Jeremy did with Brent, he made the comment that if a card is not in that 20%, if it's not part of that Pareto principle, Pareto principle, that's attracting 80% of the wealth, then it's going to go to zero or it's going to basically have no value. And now look, it might be semantics because there's so many cards out there that I guess technically you could say that's probably true. A good portion of them aren't going to be worth anything. I mean, how many people are going to care about like a Tommy Edmond fifth-year base card, right? Probably not a lot. Now, look, not to pick on Tommy. Tommy, I don't, I don't know Tommy, right? <laughs> but probably not a lot of people collecting a Tommy Edmond fifth-year base card. And you think about all the base cards and all the new products and sets they're out every year and the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cards that, yes, probably don't have – a ton of demand and are not worth a lot. So, so maybe mathematically, technically, you know, um, that's that's going to be true. But, but you know, that really wasn't the point. I think of the statement, and and that's not a revelation to anyone either. I don't think, or at least I hope it's not, because um, that's kind of stating the obvious. Um, and I think it's using the math to make that point a little more sensational than it may actually be. But the premise behind the Pareto principle is not that everything else, that if it's not in the Pareto, so to speak that it goes to zero becomes worthless. That's not really how that principle works. And in fact, I think one of the ways, I, I've thought about this a lot lately. I think one of the, because we've talked about, okay, how can you gauge whether the hobby is growing? What are maybe some metrics that you could look at and, and use to tell the health of the hobby and how it's doing? And I think one of the metrics is the performance of the low-grade 
the low-end vintage market. And, the, and uh, the reason for that is because of another economic principle called the substitution principle. We're getting a now, all of our listeners are probably tuned out by now. Oh, no. This <laughs> is get, what they listed for. Is it? Yeah. So he, and, and here's the thing. So Brent talked about you can have Paritos within Paritos, right? So like you could have, you know, that a Mickey Mantle card is in the Perito, but a Tommy Edmond card is not. So making all the wealth is going to go to the Mickey Mantle card. But then which Mickey Mantle card, right? Maybe the 52 tops versus the 51 Bowman. We've seen that a little bit. However, again, tastes could change. Maybe the 51 Bowman becomes more popular going, you know, at some point in the future. Who knows? Probably not because there's some other, you know, history around that 52 tops set and product. But nonetheless, then he says, then you can have within the, let's say the 52 tops, another Perito because then it could be, you know, within the grade, like the 10, the nines and the tens get all the wealth and, 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 and it goes away from all the lower grades. So he talks about this Pritos and the Prito within the Prito, but I'm not sure the logic really follows that. And I'll give you an example when, and it's when he talked about the grades of a card. Yes, te- again, the mathematically, technically, all the value probably goes to the top one percent of the grade. So as an example, if there are, I think there are what maybe three Mickey Mantle 52 tops tens, if those get valued at let's say 10 million a piece, who knows what they'll go for? But let's say it's 10 million a piece, that's 30 million bucks. So. Yeah, that that probably accounts maybe for eighty percent. I don't know if that you know how that math would work, but it's probably not too far off from seventy or eighty percent of the value of the Mickey Mantle fifty two tops cards. However, that doesn't mean that all the other cards are not going to have value or they're going to somehow decline in value or go to zero. And I think it's just the opposite, actually. I think if the value goes to those high end cards, like in this case the tens, and that the value of the ten keeps growing, I think that ends up pulling up all the other cards within that um within that grading scale uh, because you have to also consider opportunity right not everybody can afford a 10 million dollar psa 10 or whatever sgc 10 or whatever it is mickey mantle 52 tops card so other economic principles apply and it's look it's not just about affordability it's also about the opportunity like if only three of those exist then only three people can own those tens but i promise you there are more than three people that want to own a mickey mantle 52 tops card. So let's just say for argument's sake, there's 5,000 people that want to own that. Well, then they're going to start trading down to the nine and then to the eight and then to the seven and the six and the five and so on and so forth until they can, you know, until, until they get one they can afford and that's available to them. So if the 10 stays highly valued or continues to go up, it's likely going to pull up the value of the other grades of that card because people are going to substitute. And that's the principle of substitution for something that's not quite as expensive or that they may have more of an opportunity to buy because it's not quite as rare. And so the demand just doesn't go away and everything else goes, you know, declines in value or goes to zero. It shifts to other items. And then you get the economic laws of supply and demand that dictate pricing in those items. So if demand shifts to those other items and there's the, the supply is, is not a lot to meet that demand, then you're going to see those begin, those other lower grades begin to rise in, in value. And so that, subs- that substitution concept, frankly, that's actually how we've done fairly well on a lot of the cards that we've had you know, years ago. Two, you know, I don't know, gosh, I say two, it's longer than that now, but like three, four, five years ago. That's kind of one of the strategies I utilized. I looked at you know, some of the cards where there were very few tens and they were really highly valued and then looked at the nines and the nines were really low, low valued relative to the value of the tens and there weren't a lot of tens out there and so started buying the nines on those cards. An example was the 1980 Topps Ricky Henderson rookie card. Bought a nine in that many years ago for, 
don't know, four or 500 bucks. It's now a $2,000 card, right? Because um, there's only a handful, I think 25 tens or something like that, and they go for 80 to $100,000. So not many, if you want that card, not, there's only going to be, you know, 20 some odd people that can get a 10. So now you go, you know, again, same, I went through all that, so I don't need to repeat it, but you get the idea, right? And, and like I said, we've done well with that strategy um, and, and, and made some good money, you know, from an investment perspective on a lot. Now I say good money. We haven't sold any of those cards yet. So you don't make anything until you sell them. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know when we will per se, because like to have those in the personal collection, but anyway, and, and like, I just, I think that's going to happen. I think that, you know, you'll see again, if those high grade cards go up, then the lower grade cards are going to go up with it and close that gap. And so as more collectors come into the space and some of them, and perhaps many of them are going to want to have a vintage card, a Willie Mays or a Mickey Mantle or a Hank Aaron or a Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig, Yogi Berra, pick your player. I'm, I'm using baseball. You could go basketball, you know, a Bill Russell, a, a Wilt Chamberlain, a whatever, right? Or in hockey, a Vezina or a Bobby Orr or whatever, right? So problem is they may not be able to afford those cards in high grade or even if they can't afford it because of the rarity of those cards they, they may not be available to them so then they're going to go to the next best grade they can afford again substitution principle at work and the demand into those lower grades causes those cards to increase in value and due to the rarity of the vintage cards if the space grows those cards should continue to see increases in value again the supply and demand economic principle and so that's why I actually think that the performance of the mid to low grade vintage market could actually be an indicator for the health and the growth of the hobby and the sports card collectible market. Because if we're growing the space, you know, again, there's limited supply of those vintage cards. And if you're growing the space and more people are wanting some of those, then that demand is going to drive the prices for those things up. So anyway, now, look, I do agree with the general premise that there's a lot of athletes cards that are not going to sustain their value. And we just we talked about that there's a lot of speculation going on and look not like quarterbacks all these quarterbacks right look 30 starting quarterbacks in the nfl maybe one of them or two of them or three are going to amount to something over their career right and be tom brady or or be <laughs> amount to something of that caliber yeah yeah you're right you, thank you more thank of you them for will amount me. to something i don't mean, however that's right thank you amount for correcting to like me. a tom brady type level that's player. right that's right yes. thank you for correcting me because i don't mean that i didn't mean that in a disparaging way i i meant it just more exactly like hall of fame yep. you know goat type caliber career everyone can't be the goat right there's only one tom brady there's only one michael jordan there's one lebron James, right so so anyway, so so the point is, is that yes, there, there's going to be a lot of these athletes' cards that are not going to pan out because there's a lot of speculation going on. But look, there's nothing wrong with speculation per se. It's just important to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what the potential consequences are. Because over time, the best of the best are going to be the most sought after, and everything else is going to be more relegated to either become low value or only you know demand by true collectors who just want to correct, collect that athlete that team that sport that set whatever but that doesn't mean you can't have fun and potentially make money on speculating who the next big thing will be and i'll give you an example it's again it's all about being smart about it right so if you put 10 bucks let's just say we'll use small dollars if you put 10 bucks into 100 players that's a thousand dollar investment if only we say only one percent of those are going to hit so one player out of out of 100 is going to hit you're not going to lose everything on the others, right? They're not going to go to zero. But let's say the $10 on the others goes to 2 bucks, So that's $198 now, 2 times 99 
that's $198 that you've got on a $1,000 investment, but you still have the one that hit. So let's say the one that hit goes to a thousand bucks. Well, then you just made 20% almost because you now you've got nearly 1200 bucks on a thousand dollar investment, even though only one of the hundred became worth anything. So anyway, the point is, is that if you know that going in and you have a strategy that's designed to account for that, you can be successful. And I look, that's not for everybody. And in full disclosure and transparency, I'm not doing that. I, pro I probably won't do that. It's just not what I do and not how I want to you know spend my time in, in collecting and whatnot. But there are people that do. And that's okay if they do it right they're not going to lose everything as suggested by this interpretation of the Pareto principle and there are so many other economic and financial principles that come into play that you can't just point to that one principle and say everything that falls outside of that 80 20 rule is going to zero or is going to be worthless so and look the same one last thing i'll wrap up with the same is true with set collecting because they touched on that as well because we've seen some of these sort of um less popular athletes cards in some of these sets go for pretty high value because of set collectors and so as an example um, they talked about the quote-unquote no-name PMG cards like let's take the green ones as an example that are selling for a lot and maybe they shouldn't be worth anything and you know in in the in the case of the green PMGs they're numbered to 10 so if you think about that it's only possible to have 10 full complete sets of those green PMGs but that's not going to happen because inevitably there's going to be some collectors that own some of those cards and don't want to give them up. So you're not going to be able to have the whole set for all 10. So then the number of potential sets that you could have comes down. And that's maybe it's only possible to have one or two or three complete sets. If you think about it, that's a pretty attractive scenario, right, for an investor or a collector because you've got rarity and scarcity combined. And that potentially creates a lot of value. So, look, I don't think – I guess my point there is that I just I think there can be it's kind of one of those where the value of the whole can be more than the individual parts right mm -hmm. and and I think that can happen in set collecting so again I don't think that just because some of these you know quote-unquote no-name athletes are going for high prices in some of these sets for set collectors that doesn't mean that you know they're being dumb with their money um, and that there's not value being created there so because again the Pareto principle does not say that everything that's not in the Pareto is going to zero. That's, and that's just not how the market works. So anyway, all right, that's enough on that. Probably put all of our listeners to sleep now. But I don't know about that. There you go. So hopefully people found some interest in that. But let's go ahead and do jersey numbers. Yep. Show number 82 today. Only a few here. Yeah, all, just NFL. Yeah. All right, uh, Raymond Berry, Hall of Fame wide receiver. He played 13 seasons from 55 to 67 all with Baltimore. He wore special shoes because he had one leg that was shorter than the other. That's pretty interesting. Um, he was considered a long shot. Baltimore took a chance on him, and he made the most of it. He played with uh, Johnny Unitas. He led the league in receptions for three straight years and fumbled only once during his career. Yeah, think about that. Um, his, That's pretty impressive. Yeah, his rookie card is in the 57 top set. Yeah. Then we had Ozzie Newsome, Hall of Fame tight end, played 13 seasons, all with Cleveland. Cleveland Rocks from 78 to 1990. He was nicknamed the Wizard of Oz. He became the leading tight end receiver in NFL history and ranked fourth among all receivers at the time that he retired. Now that's changed since then, but 
He played uh, 198 consecutive games, and after his playing years were over, he became a front office executive for Cleveland, stayed with the team when they relocated to Baltimore. And in fact, he became the first African-American GM in the NFL when the Ravens named him to that role in November of 2002, and his rookie card is in the 1979 top set. Now we have John Stallworth, a Hall of Fame wide receiver as well. He played 14 seasons from 74 to 87, all with the Steelers. Yep. Him and Lynn Swan were fixtures for the Steelers with Terry Bradshaw at quarterback. They won four Super Bowls over the span of six years, and he held the Steeler receiving records in receptions, yards, and touchdowns at the time of his retirement. And that rookie card is in the 78 top set. Yeah, that's a good one as well. And then, you know, there were a couple that got listed on the Hall of Fame site, like Alan Page and Shannon Sharp, uh, under number 82. But Alan Page is really more, I think, known for 88. So we'll cover when we get to that number. And, and Shannon Sharp was really known more for 84. So we'll cover him when we get to that number. None really in the other professional sports, NBA, WNBA, NHL, or MLB. So there you go. We got three to pick from: Raymond Barry, Ozzie Newsom, John Stallworth. Those are that's that's tough. Those are good. Ozzie Newsom. Ozzie Newsom. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I can. Just, I was thinking Ozzie Newsom, and then I, but then I was thinking, man, Raymond Barry. You know, guy has one leg shorter than the other, and <laughs> you know, played does all that. And then John Stallworth. I can remember watching Stallworth, Lynn Swan. I mean, man, they were a tandem. Those two receivers, and and the fact that Stallworth. Was actually the held the the uh, Steeler receiving records over Lynn Swan. So, but I don't know. I guess I'm rambling. Ozzie Newsom, first African American GM. Yeah, let's go, Ozzie Newsom. All right. Uh, let's go to the halftime report then. All right. So we'll move quickly through some hobby news. I guess we'll start off with fanatics. Fanatics caused a little bit of a stir when they announced some changes to how they were going to distribute products to local card shops, and they later put out some clarification that seemed to settle things down a bit. Uh, bottom line is Fanatics is removing the middleman, taking more of the profit for themselves. They're trying to consolidate some things through their platforms, and although they softened up their stance on this particular announcement, I do think that this puts some of their breaking pla- other breaking platforms, I should say, and selling platforms on notice that uh, Fanatics is in charge here and they can dictate the terms of your business. And I'll admit I'm not wildly excited about Fanatics growing, you know, growing control in the space and having that. Look, I think there's going to be some things they'll do that'll be good, but there's also going to be some things that might be a little questionable. And this is kind of an example of that I'd be nervous. We didn't get, I guess, given into all the detail. I'm assuming that most people have heard about this by now. Um, if you haven't, you can Google it and see that they basically just kind of limited what some of the local card shops can do with Fanatics products in terms of how they get sold. And anyway, so just kind of taking some control there. And then I didn't see this because I didn't, I didn't have a chance to watch the actual, well, I watched a little bit of the All-Star game, but Fanatics live stream shopping experience apparently had its first big test during the All-Star game. Did you see it at all? No. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, they beta tested with some baseball cards and box breaking. They do plan to expand into other collectibles. Um, apparently, they were opening packs, having like collectors opening baseball packs, card packs on the field during the All Star Game events in Seattle. And I guess it was, you know, it may just be that because they said it was open to a small group of consumers as kind of a beta test. So maybe there was only a handful of people that were able to to do this. But we'll see what what happens with there. But more more is coming with fanatics live streaming you know shopping and breaking and platform and everything 
All right. Um, and then rumors started swirling when LeBron James no longer showed up on Upper Deck's exclusive athletes list. Haven't seen any official announcement anywhere yet, so right now it just seems like speculation, but it is odd that he no longer shows up on that part of their site. Yeah, kind of odd. He's been an Upper Deck exclusive signer, and so now there's speculation that maybe he's signed a deal with Fanatics. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, last time we did a show, we talked about the bounty from David Adams for the one-on-one card of the one ring card i guess from the magic gathering lord of the rings release it was it was a million dollar bounty and apparently there was a game store in spain that offered a two million euro bounty which is about 2.2 million dollars the chase is over card was pulled by someone in toronto and it was sent to psa for grading got a nine and so we'll see what happens i don't know if they're gonna we're gonna see that card hit the auction block or what's gonna happen there and then um another one of one was also pulled this was the select autograph card of Lionel Messi. DC Sports 87, I guess, pulled it. He said he took his daughter to Target to get a few Pokemon cards, and there was one blaster soccer box, so they bought it and pulled the card. One-on-one Messi. Imagine that. Yeah. Go to Target, get a blaster. You pull the one-on-one Messi card. That's going to be worth a small fortune. There's a bunch of grading company news. HGA is one we haven't heard from for a while. They announced a new Premier Label. This is kind of cool, actually. Premier Label Library gives you the choice. Remember, they do custom labels. This is going to give you the choice of labels to pick from for each card you grade. So you can go ahead and look at all the library of labels they've done, I think, and then pick one. Or you can still have them do a custom label if you want. They announced they've also removed their tiered pricing. So now the base grading cost is $14 per card for everything. Platinum and gold members will receive discounts on premier and custom labels. All right. And then CCG, the Certified Collectibles Group, which is the parent company of CSG, announced that they are combining their trading card divisions into one group called CGC Cards. They also announced a new unified label and no longer will you need a paid membership to have cards graded. You still have to set up an account, but you can do so free of charge and then submit cards. Members will continue to get discounted pricing and other benefits. Um, they're also no longer offering subgrades, but they indicated that they will provide more innovative ways to learn how and why cards received the grades they did. Yeah, that was kind of controversial that they're not going to do subgrades. A lot of grading companies have moved to that, but they've said there's not demand for it. And we talked about this a long time ago when I think Beckett did this and um, is that is there not demand for it because people don't want it or is there not demand for it because they upcharged for it when you charge more for something people are going to generally go for the cheaper option and not get the subgrades you know if they charge the same price maybe there'd be more demand for subgrades who knows i don't know but uh, psa has been also running a lot of grading specials and you can go to their website to see the latest deals they have they did announce their pricing for on-site grading at the national and it's a lower price point this year it's going to be 150 dollars Um, Now, it does work up. I don't have the details in front of me. It can go as high as $250 if you want to get it back, I think, same day. But if you just want to get it back by the end of the show, $150. That's an improvement because I think the last year, I want to say it was $200 or $250. And the year before that, it was $250. So that is an improvement for the last couple of years. But, you know, you do probably need it needs to be a higher end card if you want to get it graded national. But if you have a higher end card and you're worried about sending it through the mail and, you know, risking it getting lost or damaged or something like that this is a great way to do it take it with you to the national submit it to psa there get it back at the end of the show and there you go you know so 
And then tag grading, they also seem to be gaining in popularity. This is the one that Jeremy Lee has associated himself with. He's um, taken an investment in them and works for them now. And they've been doing drops to limit the number of submissions. And they had a drop this past weekend. We've talked about needing to get in and try this out. Well, we got in on that one. We got in the drop. We're going to submit our first order to tag. We're going to do 10 cards. And we'll keep you posted how that goes. I do have the cards here, but I'm going to have to, I have to adjust it because I made a, a bonehead mistake and I submitted a Dirk Nowitzki rookie card, which is a 1998 card, and they only do 2,000 forwards. So that was the only one. I had uh, 10 cards. That was the only one of the 10 that didn't work out. But I've got a Carlos Alcaraz. I got a Shohei Otani. I got a Bobby Miller. Um, I've got a, oh, yeah, I got an Eli De La, De La Cruz. Ellie? Eli? Mm -hmm. Ellie De La Cruz. Um, a Cracker Jack, Yadier Molina. I've got a uh, Patrick Mahomes and a couple Tiger Woods going. So, oh, and I've got an Aaron Judge, Topps Chrome Sapphire rookie. So, gonna have some cool cards. Maybe I'll submit my, one of my Caitlin Clark's in place of that Dirk Nowitzki. We'll see. But anyway, we'll keep our listeners posted on how that goes. And once we get those cards back from Tag, we'll post the grades we get and show you what that looks like. So, looking forward to that. All right, collectibles have been winding down and selling off the assets on their platform. Many auctions of late have contained collectible assets, PWCC Heritage and others. Um, if you do own any of these, you can expect to start to receive payouts as those items get paid for by the winning bidders. Yeah, and REA Auctions announced they acquired Huggins & Scott, which is a Maryland-based auction house. The founder of that company, I guess, unexpectedly passed away earlier this year, so that was unfortunate. But REA plans to leverage their network and technology to grow that platform. All right, and then uh, Ezra Levine, formerly with Collectible, announced that he is now the CEO of a new company in the space called Mascot, which is formerly known as Slabfolio, a company that also did a deal with MySlabs. They're rolling out improvements to their solution this week that are apparently designed to help you sync, manage, and sell your cards across multiple platforms at the same time. Yeah, it was good to see Ezra popping back up in the space. Like him, we've had him on the show before when he was with Collectible, so... And let's touch on some card releases, and then we will get into our film study. Um, there are a few different releases out, a bunch from Topps. So Topps has their 2023 Star Wars pre-order. Uh, it's the first ever flagship product. They've done Chrome and others, but now it seems like Star Wars is going to be kind of on a similar product lineup as the sports cards are. There's going to be autographs, inserts, short prints, all that kind of stuff. And then Topps also has their 2023 Allen and Ginter baseball product out now. Hobby boxes cost 115 bucks. Uh, if you go direct from Topps anyway, you might be able to get them for less or maybe more than that through local card shops and other online stores. But each box will have three hits, which could be an autograph, a relic, or a book card, or a cut signature, or rip cards, or buybacks. And so anyway, that Allen Gintner is, is a fun product. It's I, Those rip cards are cool. I enjoy getting those then you have to decide if you want to rip the card or not see what's in it but anyway all right and then tops has an inaugural release of their 2022 mls renaissance product it's now available for 200 dollars per hobby box if you're an mls fan there's some nice cards in here um, as i understand it every card is autograph and just to note messi is not in this product I yeah think even you though get, he's joining miami it's, yeah. he's not in the mls he's not in this product this is 2022 um, I think you get two cards in each box, but I also believe they're serial number to 20 or less. Um, could be wrong about that. Apparently, it was a little bit difficult finding out specifics of this release as Topps hasn't released the official checklist yet. Yeah, and then Topps also has their 2023 T206 Low Series out, although they did sell out quickly on their website, so I'm not sure if they're going to offer 
any more of those each box but you can get them in in secondary market right now through ebay and other other um, online stores each box has four packs there are 10 cards per pack and there are on card autos in this one that fall one in every three boxes and there should be two parallels per pack as well they were priced at 55 bucks a box on top's website like i said they sold out quickly i'm already seeing them in the secondary market for 80 to 100 dollars a box this is an example though of one of the products that i like and that i think longer term 10 20 years from now who knows we'll see because again they publish print runs and the print runs are not excessive when you look at them based on the number of cards that are in the set you know there a lot of times there's only maybe a few you know if you average it out we don't know how the set got got you know printed right if it was equal across all the cards probably not but nonetheless we average it out there might only be a few hundred or maybe a thousand at the most of the base cards and then you can pick up other serial numbered cards and things like that so anyway i think it's kind of an interesting one all right and then we also have 2023 tops tribute baseball um, that's 480 per box. There's three on card autos and three memorability, sorry, memorabilia cards per box. This is a higher end product. Um, the configuration is three cards per pack, six packs per box. Yeah, what did you say? Tops what? Baseball? Memorabilia. No, tribute. You tri did you say tribute? 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 Tribute. Okay. What? I, think I, I couldn't understand what you said. You said 2023. It's top 2023 tops tribute baseball. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. All right. And if you want to keep chasing Wimbanyana and Caitlin Clark, tops has their 2022-23 Bowman U best basketball product out. It's 120 bucks a box. Configuration is five cards a pack, six packs per box, two mini boxes per master box, and you should get two autos in there. But note the Superfractor auto of Wembenyana, which was a one of one, that he also inscribed it with first ever um, card that he had signed. That has been pulled. All right, and then Panini also has their 2022 to 23 Obsidian NBA hobby boxes out. This is 240 per box. Each box will contain one pack and seven cards. You should expect two autos, two inserts of parallels, and three base cards per box. Yeah, and then Panini has their 2223 Immaculate Soccer Hobby boxes out at 1150 bucks a box. Each box has one pack, seven cards a pack, but you will get five autographs or memorabilia cards and two other cards, which could be base, parallels, or inserts. This checklist contains autographs from some, some pretty nice players like Christian Pulisic, Erling Holland, uh, Mbappe, Beckham, and more so it's an it's a it's a fun one if if but it is expensive they also have impeccable soccer out this week thursday first off the line edition starts at three thousand per box in dutch auction format this product has one pack and eight cards per pack and the first off the line edition should have four autos one additional auto or relic and then one First off a line, exclusive card, serial number to four, and a parallel and base card. Yeah, and then Panini's NFL Flawless and National Treasure products are coming soon, but they are 2022 releases. And remember, Fanatic seems to be locking up autograph-exclusive deals with several athletes, so some of these autograph-centric products like this from Panini may not be quite as desired as they would be otherwise. And then Leaf has their popular 2023 medal pop century product that's going to be released on july 28th and autograph cards in this product will include um from from celebrities such as clint eastwood chris pratt elizabeth olsen who's um oh what's her character in marvel again she's, oh, she's the, in a lot of stuff besides the marvel witch. The wit what is that I don't, I don't know i forget anyway i like her character in marvel movies uh jessica alba's in this one joe pesci macaulay culkin Chuck Norris, Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta, Mike Tyson, many more. Each box will have four autos. Each box actually have four cards per pack and one pack per box, but all four cards will be autographed. Why cards. is Mike Tyson in this like he's not an actual athlete? 
I know. Well, they have some af- they have athletes in here. It's okay. not just all all celebrities. Okay. It's pop century stuff. So, uh, all right, that's it for card releases. We're not going to do record sales from Card Ladder, or at least not go through everything because there's just been way too much since our last show. So we'll just talk generally about the trends. There's been a lot of basketball, of course, a lot of Michael Jordan stuff, a lot of vintage basketball. Vintage basketball has really been because there's been some set breaks of high grade like you know rare psa 10 like 69 tops and stuff like that basketball sets that have been broken up that have been sold there was one in the pwcc auction here in the last week or two where they all sold for six figures uh, so that was nice to see we talked earlier otani stuff a lot of his stuff is setting records especially his autograph cards but even his non-autograph cards of course the joker uh nikola jokic coming off of his first NBA title with the Denver Nuggets, and so a lot of his stuff setting records. Vintage baseball still on the list. 90s inserts still on the list. A lot of serial-numbered stuff, some football stuff. So there you go. A lot, of, a lot of records still being set, even though the market seems to be down. So that's it for the halftime report. Let's do film study. Okay, we're going to cover – what are we going to cover? We've got baseball, basketball, hockey – got WNBA and what yep, else anything that's else it. that's it so let's jump right in start with baseball all right De La Cruz with the Cincinnati Reds making a big splash hitting 325 four home runs 16 RBIs 28 run scores 16 stolen bases all of that in just 30 games played thus far and man he has rejuvenated the Reds the Reds are now in first place in the NL Central they're 23 and 8 since he was called up. They put together a 12-game win streak at one point. It is crazy, and everyone's probably by now seen the video where he stole second base, third base, and home yeah. all over the course of what two pitches. I mean, it's just crazy what this kid is doing, and his cards are doing well also. I've, a lot of his cards are selling for hundreds of dollars. His serial numbered autographs are selling for thousands of dollars. I saw a first Bowman Chrome refractor autograph card that's serial number to 499 sell for 3100 There was a purple parallel of that that's serial number to 250 that sold for 3600 And I did see a Chrome Sapphire, which is uh, in 2022 for him, sell for over $500. So his stuff is doing well. And look, I mean, I wouldn't chase his stuff. On the other hand, you know, like maybe you wait till the off season. I don't, I don't know, but but if he if he keeps doing what he's doing, you know... I don't know. It's it, it's it's pretty crazy. I actually he's he's I've got his first Bowman Chrome that I'm going to put in that tag order. That's going into tag. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that does. Otani, look, we've been talking about how long have we been talking about Otani? Forever it seems like, right? Every show for like pretty much since we started, and he just had probably the best month of June in Major League Baseball history. He now leads the league in home runs, slugging percentage. Uh, OBS, which is just on-base plus slugging, triples, WAR, which is you know wins above replacement. He's third in RBIs. He's hitting over 300 at the moment. His slash line is his batting average is 302 with 32 homers, 71 RBIs, 63 runs scores. Oh, and 11 runs scored, I should say, and 11 stolen bases. And in pitching, he's got a 3.32 ERA, which is significant because the league average right now I think is 4.3. So he's a full run below the league average in ERA. He's got a 1.1 whip and 132 strikeouts in just over 100 innings pitched, 103 innings pitched. It is crazy. His OPS in the month of June was the seventh best all time. Only three players, even though it was the seventh best, there's only three players that actually done did better, Babe Ruth being one, Lou Gehrig the other, and Rogers Hornsby being one. Pretty good company. 
to be in. And there was a game on June 27th that I want to highlight because this is just it's just crazy. He went three for four from the plate with two home runs, and then on the mound he struck out ten, giving up just four hits and one earned run in six and a third innings pitched. In a game that the Angels won against the White Sox four to two, Otani literally scored three of the four runs, pretty much single-handedly won the game for the Angels. I mean, it'd be, I, I saw a comparison that I was laughing at, but it's true. It's like, it'd be like if Patrick Mahomes went out and threw four or five touchdowns and then racked up a couple of sacks, got nine pressures as an edge rusher, maybe, yep. you know, 10 or 12 tackles, you know, caused a fumble, maybe got an interception. <laughs> like, right. like, it's just crazy what Otani's doing. And oh, by the way, it's showing up in his cards too. His card ladder index is up over 30% in the past three months. It's up nearly 90% in the past year. And it's not just his high-end stuff. His base 2018 tops pitching card in a PSA 10, up over 90% in the past three months. His base batting Bowman Chrome um, is also up. His Chrome Sapphire, which is one I've got. I love that card. Recently set an all-time high in a PSA 10 at $5,350. The pop count on that is just 112, by the way. His autograph stuff, it's always been high, but it just continues to climb. His 2018 Topps Chrome Rookie Auto Base in a PSA 10 recently sold for $9,900, which has been more than doubled over the last six months. I mean, it's his stuff's taken off, so I don't know if now's the time to buy it. If you were buying, you know, a year ago, like we've been, you know, I shouldn't say we were encouraging anyone, dude, because we don't encourage... We don't give that kind of advice, but we certainly have been talking about how we thought Otani's stuff was undervalued and that he was undervalued and underappreciated as a player. And, and man, now you're seeing it. Now might be the time to cash in, but I still like him long term. I mean, I just, you know, I think he's one of those potentially. I mean, look, he's still young, right? Got to do it for many more years, but he could be one of those ones you look back. I mean, because what he's doing is just unprecedented, right? So, and then Ronald Acuna Jr. as well for the Braves. He is absolutely raking. First player in Major League Baseball history with 20-plus home runs, 40-plus stolen bases, and 50-plus RBIs all prior to the All-Star break. His slash line right now, he's hitting 332 with 21 home runs, 55 RBIs, 79 runs scored, and 41 stolen bases. I mean, goodness. And by the way, he's in the 2018 sets along with Otani and Judge. I mean, I'm telling you, the 2018 products – some some good players, some good cards in there for baseball. But surprisingly, if you look at Acuna Jr.'s card ladder index, it's actually down over the past three months, six months, and one year time frames. His 2017 Bowman Chrome Prospects Auto and a PSA 10 recently sold for around 2750 bucks. That's basically flat over the past year. Now, in fairness, it is up 37% over the past six months and 10% over the past three because it basically dipped down and then came back again. But there you go. He's in the Chrome Sapphire, the same um, product that Shohei Otani's in, and that that for him is that card for him in a PSA 10 been flat over the past three to six months at around 3,200 bucks, give or take. But you know he's another one to watch. And then one other I'll mention. I can't remember if we mentioned him on our last show or not, but that's Lewis Arise because he could be on the 400 watch. Look, there hasn't been someone hit 400 in baseball since Ted Williams did it back in 1941, and you know Lewis Arise was the Arise was the batting champion last year. Um, he's hitting 382 at the break, but he was just six hits shy out of 329 at bats of being hitting 400 over 400 at the break. He hit 400 or better in three of the five months so far during the season. So, you know, interesting. I say three of the five. Has there been five months? It's been because he's at April, May, June, July. It hasn't really. So I guess three of the four months. Yeah. 
Anyway, I may not have my stats right on that, but he is he's hit. Only, if he's only six hits shy, then it's probably. Yeah, he's only six hits shy and out of months. 329 bats. So, you know, who knows? I mean, a lot of season left to go, but that kid can hit. And, you know, he could be, again, as it gets closer in the season, that could be one to watch because if there starts becoming, if he does get close to 400, there's going to be a lot of hype around that. So, again, not not suggesting or recommending anyone do anything, but it just it's one to pay attention to. All right, let's go to the NBA. Okay. Talk basketball. Yep. Um, so, unfortunately, your your Miami Heat did not win. The Nuggets right. did. Tough matchup. Yeah. So, here's the thing. Now are all the – we were talking about this. Now are all these teams going to copycat the Nuggets and go out and try to find a big man that can be the next Joker? I don't think it's that they're going to find a big man that's going to be the next Joker. But I do think that teams are going to start playing big again because I don't think it's the fact – like, yeah, Joker is big, but – the rest of Denver is also huge. Like, their point guard is Jamal Murray, 6'3". Yep. They have a 3 at 6'10". Aaron Gordon's massive. Is that Porter Jr.? Yeah. Yeah. And then Aaron Gordon's, like, 6'9", but he's, like, muscle man. Well, and Porter he's Jr.'s like, long, too. He, yeah. You know, he, he, uh, 6'10", probably mm-hmm. plays more like a 7-footer. And then on top of that, you have Jokic. So, I mean, they're a huge team. And I, I, I've been saying this, like, you've seen all these bigs being kind of the best in the league like top of the mvp conversations over the past few years and you kind of see like the league is trending back towards the big where it trended away from it now it's kind of trending back towards it and i think it's going to be more on the lines of you'll see that more like a, a on a team scale i yeah. think because teams are going to have to be big to to play denver especially if you're in the west you need a big that can play joker to like some success kind of like how you had if you were in the West, really anybody, because you're probably gonna have to play him in the finals, honestly. Again, yeah. if I had to guess, unless you can, unless somebody in the West can figure it out. Um, well, it's kind of interesting. You, you need a big that can that can take care of him, just like Shaq. Yeah. You needed a big that could handle Shaq. That's what you, um, we were talking about that before we started recording. That history shows having a top guard and a top big is a winning combination. So they had Jamal Murray and, and the Joker, like you said. But you look back in history, right? Kobe Bryant and Shaq, like you just said. There's a couple there, right? Um, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, if you go a little further back. Or even go to the Celtics, you got Larry Bird. Now, Larry Bird wasn't necessarily a guard, per se. Like a three. But, but yeah. he shoots, I mean. Yeah, but he was, yeah, yeah. more of an outside perimeter shooter type yeah. play. And, and had, you know, Parrish or McHale underneath. Or, um, you know, even with Golden State, right? Because you had yeah, Steph and more or less. I mean, Draymond Golden Green. State is kind of the exception to that. Yeah. They didn't have like a dominant big. Yeah, was, maybe a little. But that, but that's Golden State's kind of the reason, part of the reason why it's shifted away from that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and like the Bulls, now, you know, Jordan, he had Cartwright. Now, Cartwright wasn't necessarily dominant, but, but you had Horace Grant, Dennis Rodman. He, I think the bottom line is you need size. Yeah. And not necessarily you need like a dominant big but you need a good well, big. even Miami you need a good big and you need some good even size. Miami this year right um, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo right made mm-hmm. it to the finals so but Bam's only 6'9 Bam honestly oh yeah I feel like he's taller now he's a sm- he's long and athletic but he's actually really small for a center yeah he's a six he's only 6'9 like yeah. he could play I mean well he, he does bring he, the ball he, up he plays he <laughs> plays like a center because he doesn't really play outside at all he plays face up you know, smooth, well, he's long smooth jumper type thing. Yeah, and he's long, but he's actually only 6'9". Hmm. So not really a dominant big as you would traditionally expect it, as in like a Joel Embiid, a Shaq, a, a, yeah. a, a Jokic. He's more of a Kevin Garnett type big. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a little bit shorter. 
Well, and then even if there you go, the Spurs would be another one. All the championships mm-hmm. they won, right? You had uh, Tony Parker or uh, uh, what was his? Oh shoot, what was the? Um, how, why can't I remember the other guard's name? They had? Manu Ginobili. Yeah, thank you, Ginobili. And then you had Robinson and Duncan. Robinson and Duncan. Interesting thing about that is even in the tens, they kind of had Kawhi in twenty. I mean, they still had Duncan, but they played more through Kawhi in like twenty fourteen. There's like a three. Yeah, and that's kind of. I don't know. But either way, I feel like it's going to, yeah, it's going to go back towards bigger lineups, especially just because you need, you're going to need a good big that can handle Jokic. So speaking of bigs and guards, we had the draft. Obviously, Weminyana goes first to the Spurs, Brandon Miller second, right, to the Hornets. And then the Blazers, third, get Scoot Henderson. Look, great pickup in terms of the player. However, I don't know about the fit. And, of course, now, though, Dame is looking like he's going to get moved out, demanding a trade. But before that, I mean, either they knew they were going to trade him, I feel like, or we were talking about this before we started recording. Like, what is Portland's philosophy here? Because I feel like they do this a lot. They just keep bringing in guard. They got Simons. They got Dame. You go out and get Scoot. Like, you got all these guys. They all can't have, you know, they're not going to have the ball in their hand as much as they need to. And they, they, I feel like they need to go get a big – and yet they keep bringing guards in. Well, the problem with this draft, especially, and they've made a lot of mistakes, I feel like. I don't think that they knew. They they did not think Dame was leaving before this draft. I think, I mean, they might have had, like, an inkling that if we don't have a team that he likes, he may want to leave. I think that's, you know, they may have had that well, in mind. wouldn't drafting Scoot sort of <laughs> prompt him to, Well, Okay, well, well, hold on. Okay. Because they, I, I, so, because he, he definitely said, he said that he wanted to stay a Blazer. But at the same time, he's also getting to the point in his career where he wants to win. Yeah. And if they don't put a team around him, he's waited long enough. Like, he's, you know, he kind of got the sense that if they didn't, he's going to wait and see what they were going to do in the offseason. And if he didn't like it, he's probably going to request a trade and move on. And that's exactly what happened. Um, but as far as them getting Scoot Henderson, I feel like they very may, very may well have wanted Brandon Miller to address mm-hmm. their size. But he went second to the Hornets. And so they got, they were left with Scoot. And if you look at, okay, well, why don't they draft for fit? I feel like this, yes, and they've done that in the past and they haven't like gotten what they've necessarily needed. But I feel like this year, like the top 10 players besides Miller were basically all guards. And and, and well, if you're about- Portland, if you, if you have a, the third pick in the draft, you're kind of obligated to take the best talent in my opinion, regardless I'm, of fit, I'm especially think- if you're Portland and you're not a team that's already got a roster that can win. Yeah. Um, what about Portland someone though? Like, that. what about someone like, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong player, but is Derek lively? Is he, is he a center? He is a center, but I don't feel like they would want really want I don't care. I don't care about fit. If you're Portland, do I want Derek lively or do I want scoot Henderson? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing fair. against Derek lively, but they're just two very different players. Right. I don't need Derek lively as much as I would love to have a scoot Henderson. Yeah. Even for trade purposes. But I feel like, I mean, scoot, when you're the third pick or you have the third pick, you need to go with, you know, one of these three kind of potential huge talents. I really like Scoot. Yeah. I think if Wemby wasn't in this draft, Scoot would be, in my opinion, number one, the, the guy for, for this draft. I think he still is going to make a, a good running for like rookie of the year. I've liked what I saw in his like one game at summer league. I've seen him play and I ignite a little bit. I really, I'm, I really like this kid a lot. Yeah. So 
No, I would agree. Well, and there's been some, we also have free agency and there's been some big moves there. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to touch on because so, because I do, we were talking about this. I think, I really hope that Miami makes a play for Dame. I think he, it would be a great fit with Miami. The only thing though is I hope they don't necessarily get rid of Tyler Hero because I think you need Tyler Hero and 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 maybe you don't have I mean look I think they need to keep their core in place right they need to keep Jimmy need to keep Bam need to keep Tyler I think and then add Dame to that I think that would be now they did lose a couple of key pieces I mean they lost Gabe Vincent they lost Struess those are big hits for them but the problem is Portland doesn't like their assets and so like it's doesn't like Miami's. Yeah, they don't like Miami's assets. And well, they if you like saw, if you it's saw just what the Joe ones Cronin they like said. are not available. They would they would probably take Bam, but well, Miami's but not going to. They can't give up those players. Right. I mean, like, you, uh, I don't know if you saw Joe Cronin. I made a statement like on Monday or something, and he was just kind of like, you know, it's tough when you don't have options because he really almost, only wants to go to one place. But he basically said that like they're going to sit and they're going to be patient. And they're gonna see what happens. Get and he said, he said, if key, if it takes months, it takes months. So this is gonna take a while. But I mean, it's all on Miami at this point. I, I feel like they're gonna do it because they always tend to. But it's gonna take time because they're gonna have to probably get a third team involved because it's very clear that Portland doesn't like what they're offering. Yeah. Because they don't really have a lot to offer Portland. To be honest, Portland doesn't need Hero, but Hero is the trade piece. That's, they don't. That yeah. is the best piece that you can trade, and you're probably they're probably going to have to trade him probably not to Portland, but to somebody else who can in turn be part of a three-team trade to give Portland what Portland wants. Yeah. So that might make a dame. But that's going to take time. So well, we'll that see. would stink. I'd like we'll to see. see. I don't Hero know who, who Miami, really but... would want Tyler, who wants to take Tyler. I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams would love to have him, but it's a fit thing, I think. I would not like to give up Tyler Hero, but when you think about it like that, it almost seems like they have to because they just don't have the assets to, to do anything else, really. Right. Um, they can, but I don't know that teams are going to really want that so it's like well especially with what they've already given up really because like, like you said they've already given up max Struess, they've already given up gabe vincent they've victor oladipo is gone so yeah there's not a lot well victor oladipo that was a, they traded him away i mean that was a good an, an unfortunate but a good move just to free up salary space yeah that you couldn't they could couldn't take no i get it but i'm just injured. saying to your point there's not a lot because you're not going to trade jimmy you're not going to trade bam and so you would like to not give up, in my opinion, Caleb Martin. Yeah. But I think that you're going to have to give up Tyler Hero one, one way or another. If you can keep him, great. But I just don't really know that it's going to happen. Um, well, the thing is, I mean, and they, they replaced some of their depth. I mean, they brought in Josh Richardson, who's a pretty, I mean, he's a solid. He's like a Miami guy. They got a backup, another backup big in Thomas Bryant. And they've got some guys coming up through Summer League that, I mean, we can talk about because most of their players, I mean, Vincent and Struess came from the undrafted, you know, development program yeah, well, that's in Miami. And they came up through through summer league. And so there's a few, there's like two guys right now that have been playing really well in both the G league and this year's summer league, I think that are going to kind of probably well, they got be those the, next they two. They got the uh, Jokic too, right? Oh yeah. They also have Jovic. Like, and he's like, he was a first rounder for them like last year. But then you also have look out for the names, Orlando Robinson and Jamal Kane. I think will probably come up and be, some of those guys that you'll see come off the bench and then maybe eventually go. get into the lineup. But Heard it here first. Those guys have been playing really well, just like Vincent and Struess were before. So. Well, let's touch on a couple free agency moves because I think there was a couple. There was a few in here that are pretty interesting. A couple teams that I think have been made have made some good moves, and I'd like to get your 
your thoughts and opinions on them. And one is Houston, because I'm looking at Houston. They they um, they picked up. Uh, well, is it Houston? Yeah, because Houston got Fred Van Vliet, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So remind me, who's who's Houston's top players, right? So they have Jalen Green, Shingun, uh, KPJ. That's right. They just yeah. drafted. Yeah. So and then Thompson. Exactly. And they got, and now they got Fred Van Fleet. So I'm exactly. So I think, I mean, Houston is doing some pretty good things. Like I think KPJ, if you look at his and Jalen green was a rookie last year, right? Two and years ago, two years ago. And, and he made some improvements. KPJ has made, if you look at his advanced stats, good. he's been doing really well. And then Sangoon. Sangoon. I love I mean, Sangoon. Yeah. So, um, and I love Van Fleet or Van Van. Yes. I say Van Fleet cause I, but Van Fleet. I mean, well, you know, that's is, a good move. This is interesting. He's, well, okay, so they're in the process of rebuilding. And we've all been asking, okay, you have all these young players, but to rebuild you need, like, vets who have done it before to guide the young guys, and they didn't have that. So now they've got that. So now we can kind of get going with Houston. Maybe hopefully they can stop well, being the worst Well, and they the got Cam Whitmore, too. They picked yeah, him up they just the picked him up. The interesting thing about these standings, though, because they got Van Vliet, they got Brooks, they got um, – Jock Landell from Phoenix. Oh, that's right. They got Brooks. Um, yeah, I mean, they're good. they got And, like, some other guy. But the interesting thing is these guys are getting way overpaid because of the new CBA, which is interesting. Because so now you can't – you have to be, like, a certain percentage of your salary cap. You can't just leave, like, a bunch of space open just to, just to have during the season. They're not allowing that anymore. You have to be, like, I think – for the bottom teams, you have to be, like, at least, like, 80% of your salary cap. So, like, these vets are getting – paid so much more than they probably would if they were on like a different team hmm. which is good for them and they're paying for the veteran leadership for yeah, sure yeah. but also they have to spend that money and so they're spending it on these players so yeah. van vliet got the bag brooks got a way bigger contract and people probably expected him to yeah um, that's interesting but it's it's interesting well, i like sure. what houston's doing the other one um are the lakers you know i mean gabe vincent that was a nice ad. We saw what he can do with Miami. And then they keep Reeves. Oh, right? yeah. They Reeves stays. Yep. So, I mean, Lakers. They made a bunch. They tinkered a lot. And they, they got back what they needed. Like, with their, they, they took care of business with their free agents that they already had. And they made some really fitting signings, in my opinion. I, I feel like early they were really probably had the best offseason so far. Yeah. Um, well, Mavericks than, may have something to say about that, but they're going to need to prove it. Maybe, yeah. Um, the other one I'll throw out there, and look, I'm, I know this has been a perennial, like, hope situation, always thinking, and, you know, it's going to be good, and then it never turns out. But OKC, I feel like OKC is quietly, you know, putting together a really nice statement. They've had, they've had Josh Giddy, of course, had SGA last year, who had a, a banner season. They got Chet Holmgren now coming back, and yep. he – he put on some. It's interesting. He put on some weight in the, over you know, mm-hmm. um, rehabbing from his injury, and so he's he's looking stronger. They picked up Victor Oladipo, who's an absolute stud. Now he's got that injury history, which is unfortunate. But if he can be healthy, I feel uh, like he's more he's good for them because he's a good vet for them. Yeah, and he's you know he's been through a lot. So I mean, so he can be a really good voice in the locker room. Yes, yeah, so, I mean like, I don't know. Look, um, I, you know you gotta like stop me here because I know you know it's probably not a. Not a smart pick, but I feel like OKC is putting together a pretty no, nice little it, team. It's a good pick. They were they were in the play-in last season, so they're finally starting to make some progress with their rebuild. They're not just stacking draft picks anymore. They're well, actually getting better. They have they were a really good defensive team, which is crazy because since they're so young, you don't necessarily normally see that. Yeah. Um, and Gideon Holmgren are supposed to have some nice chemistry. They didn't mm-hmm. get, we didn't get to see it last year because yes. Holmgren was out. But yeah. 
And SGA Chet is not going to have to be like a franchise player. He's going to be able to work his way back in, you know, learn at his own pace. He's not going to be expected to be, you know, the number two pick per se. Um, that because, said, because by the SGA way, is, is, is you know he's the best player on yeah, that team. That said, um, though, Chet Holmgren's cards they are hot. They're, they're, his stuff is selling really well. I'll have to. I don't have d- the data in front of me. I'll have to do a comparison to SGA because I want to say on an apples to apples basis that Chet Holmgren's stuff is outselling SGA, which is kind well, of well. I would imagine because Chet's. I mean, yeah, more he was projected to. Yeah, if he just didn't get it. He's going to get his chance last season. Yeah. And he's actually going to get his first season on a, a better body, so it should hopefully help him a little bit. I've liked what I've seen in Summer League. He's still got a lot to learn. I feel like he gets he gets himself in trouble sometimes on offense. Um, I, I've seen him get the ball stolen from him on the spin like 20 times, I feel like, in Summer League. But... So he's got, he's got, but like what I've seen is really good. So, so what about uh, Victor Wembanyama in summer league? Only two games, they're shutting him down, but to you know, which is fine. But I mean, I would have liked to see him of, more. But I mean, you kind of saw what you needed more. to. I feel like um, he's kind of got an interesting demeanor on the court. Mm-hmm. It's almost matter of fact. Like he could be. I feel like he could be a lot more dominant than he is. Um, I know he's got he's got a learning curve to still, but you know for, very, for as very big as he is, still he didn't figuring play, it out. He didn't play around the rim as much as I was expecting him to. Well, because he can, I know he yeah, can. He yeah, he can do everything. Exactly, I mean, that's a big pull about this guy. Well, okay, so you saw that in in the first game. This is one of the things that he's gonna he's gonna have to learn, and he started to learn in his um, second game. And you look at the first game, and he's like, oh, maybe not a great offensive performance. Um, the guy had five blocks, though. People are overlooking that and overlooking how hard it is to get five blocks in an NBA game. I know it's summer league, but five blocks is still ridiculous, just yeah. saying. Um, let's not overlook that because everybody has bad shooting nights. But game two, 27, 13 boards, like two or three blocks or something. Yeah. That was the game. And the difference the thing I was talking about that he's going to have to figure out is that so he has like his outside game, but he can also play inside. I feel like he probably wants to face up more, but he's big enough. He doesn't necessarily like, he doesn't have to overpower people to not face up. Um, he's so big. Yeah. But so the thing he's going to have to learn is perimeter game. When you got a big on you, when you got a small on you, pass it, go down, dive in, post yeah. up. Like, yeah. And he figured that out in game two and started to do that a little bit more. And he was a lot more dominant. I also thought it was interesting. Kenny Smith said he might not have, like, sensed the moment as much in the first game. I wasn't really paying attention to that. But his demeanor in game two is completely different than game one. Game two, he was a lot more, like, I don't know, like, into it. Like, yeah, intense, like, excited about dominating. Game one, he was a little bit more kind of just, like, I'm sure he had like not some, really not really yeah. understanding the. Well, I'm sure there were some nerves there. And, yeah, you know. I don't know. Just kind of taking it as any other game, which is what you do. But at the same time, I don't know, there's there's a difference between those two games. Yeah. But I feel like everybody kind of saw what they needed to see. But it, right. it's really more about the regular season. Well, what else? Anything else in basketball before we go touch on some hockey? Um, I don't think. So. Well, I'll say Marcus Smart is it's it's good for Memphis. That's oh, what I'll say. Guess, yeah. Yeah, and we can well, move on. And they got Derrick Rose too. Yeah, locker room. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, but, you know. Okay, hockey. So Vegas wins the cup. I don't really think there's a big card impact there. The draft, no surprise. Connor Bedard goes number one to Chicago Blackhawks. And by the way, 
a lot of people have been asking, you know, when can we expect to see some of his cards? His young guns will be in the upper deck flagship product. It's likely going to be in the 2324 Series 2 uh, release of that product, which is probably going to be out in the spring of 2024. So going to be a little while. As we understand it, he has to actually play in a game first before Upper Deck can produce his first card. So that's a, one of the reasons for the timeline there. So that's what you can expect. The awards were also announced. So no surprise, Hart Trophy, which is the MVP, went to Connor McDavid, who also won the Ted Lindsay Award. The Norris Trophy for Best Defenseman goes to Eric Carlson. Uh, the Vezina for Best Goalie goes to Linus Olmark. Now, I was hoping UC Saros would get that, but you kind of knew Olmark would get it given what happened in Boston. But I think UC Saros had a case for it if, if uh, Nashville would have had a better record. And then the Calder Trophy, which is the Rookie of the Year, went to Maddie. And I don't know, is it Beignets? Is that mm -hmm. his last? With Seattle Kraken? I, I admittedly Something don't like know how to pronounce his last right. name. But he has uh, Upper Deck Young Guns in the 2022 set. His PSA 10 on that card has been selling for around 150 bucks, which is down, actually. Uh, from a little over $200 earlier this year. So even though he, I guess, maybe some anticipation and that he was going to win that, and now it's a sell-on-the-news type of situation maybe. But anyway, so that's what you got going on there. We're now in the offseason on hockey. Um, let's touch on WNBA because there's a few things I did want to touch there. As expected, Vegas leads the league. They are 18-2, and two, followed by the New York Liberty in, in second at 14-4. and four. Those are the two super teams we've been talking about a lot before uh, leading up to the season. Connecticut, maybe a little surprising, maybe not surprising, but a little surprising, is third at 15-5, and five, and then Washington 11-8, and eight, and it goes down from there. Uh, All-Star weekend is this weekend, the 14th, July 14th and 15th in Vegas. Uh, Team Wilson and Team Stewart, that's Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart, and some notable names in the All-Star game. You're going to see Chelsea Gray, Alaya Boston in her rookie season made the All-Star, so that's good. Kelsey Plum, uh, Dewana Bonner, she had that big 40-plus point game earlier this year. Um, Alina Deladon. Well, we won't see her because she Oh, she was injured, got that's injured. right. So you will injured. see instead of her, Ren Howard. As her replacement. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's unfortunate. She got injured. Uh, on Brianna Stewart, Brittany Griner, uh, Satu Sabali, uh, the former Oregon Duck, made it. Courtney Vandersloot, Sabrina Ionescu's in there. So there's a lot of, and, and several others I didn't mention, but um, a lot of good players, a lot of good play you're going to see. I did want to touch on, um, one was Aaliyah Boston. Now she's got cards. You know, Caitlin Clark and Victor Wimignan has been getting all the, the hype, but Aaliyah Boston is in all those sets as well. So you know, she's. I think she's an interesting chase in those products. Those, I mean, those all star uh, starter years. in her first season is pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, all star starter. She has an especially and, when you're on the team that's like the worst in the league. And I was thinking about that today. I was like, that's crazy. They got two all stars, and I was like, well, there's only like a few. There's not that many teams in this league. There's not. So it's crazy. Like every team gets like two all stars, pretty much. There's not. But but it's crazy. Indiana. Hey, they're they're now third worst. <laughs> Okay, so, well, four, four yeah. and fifteen is third worst. Yeah. I would hate to see what second and first worst are, my lord. Yeah, but Alaya Boston, look, she's averaging fifteen point four points, eight point four boards, two point three assists, one steal, one point three blocks. I mean, she's doing well. She's, uh, I think, she's a stud, and she's doing well. Let's talk about Brianna Stewart. Now, I did pick up in full disclosure, and I brought it up here. I picked up because I've told you I've been picking up some WNBA cards. I've got Sabrina Ionescu, of course. I've got Satu Sabali. I did pick up an Elena Deladon, so maybe I jinxed her. Hopefully this doesn't jinx Brianna Stewart because I did pick up a Brianna Stewart in the 2020 Panini Prism WNBA. That is not her rookie card, but it is the the um, inaugural edition of 
prism and for the WNBA, Panini prism for WNBA. This is Brianna Stewart's autograph. It was a gold, so serial number to 10, and I picked this one up. I think it was in the PWCC auction. I'm excited to have this one in the collection. Brianna Stewart is absolutely killing it. She is second in the league in points, averaging 23.1. She leads the league in rebounds at 9.8, also averages 4.1 assists, 1.7 steals, 1.4 blocks per game. She's top 10 in all categories except for assists where she's 15th in the league. Absolute stud. And so I'm um, liking having this particular card in the personal collection. But yeah, I would encourage you, if you have not watched a lot of WNBA games, check out All-Star Weekend. You're going to see some really talented players and some really good play, hopefully, I think. I mean, All-Star games, actually, you oftentimes don't get the greatest play. But I don't actually think it's as bad in WNBA. Yeah, it's probably a little better. Brittany Griner dunked in a, in a game not what, a week yeah. or so ago. I mean, anyway, so, yeah, there's going to be – look, I, I said it before, I actually think there's opportunity in cards of WNBA players – um, but look, that's just me. So you, you collect what you want, invest in what you want. Uh, but I am, I personally am, I think it's fun to collect a lot of these players, but also I do think there's some long-term opportunity there. And, uh, so yeah, so there you go. All right. Should we call it? Yeah. Yeah. We'll call it. We don't want to, that's, we, we went a little longer than maybe we wanted to go. So that's it. That's going to be the show for today. It was good to be back. I hope everybody enjoyed it. And Brandon, why don't you go ahead and take us out? Uh, yeah, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in, spending some of your time with us. We do want to hear from you, so please message us on social media or email us. That's on our website. If you have questions or ideas or topics for a future show, we do love to hear from you, so please don't hesitate to reach out. Also, check us out on social media and follow us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website, www.the615collector.com, and subscribe to our email list. Yeah, and please help us spread the word. Tell a friend about us. Encourage them to listen to the show. Follow us on your podcast outlet, and we'd very much appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating. So that is a wrap for show number 82. Remember, follow us on social media if you haven't already, as Brandon said. Uh, because that's where you will learn when we will drop our next show because it's probably not going to be weekly going forward. So thanks again for everyone spending some of your time with us, and we will not necessarily see you next week, same time, same place. We're just going to say we will see everyone soon here on the 615 Collective.